All right, let's go in our Bibles, 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. We'll be here briefly and then we'll move to Numbers, the 14th chapter. 1 Corinthians 10, we've been studying all of this year. It's already May, we found out Thursday night. Or March, those of you on... This modern calendar. Been studying victorious Christian living, and uh, some have been a little bit uh, uns- uncertain of the path that we have taken. But in order to have victory, you have to defeat your enemy. And what the Bible sets forth for us in both Old and New Testament is that the enemy without is not near the danger that the enemy within presents. And the world and the flesh are certainly foes of every one of us. Uh, the, the world and the devil are certainly foes of every one of us. But the greatest foe that we have is the flesh. And Jesus Christ will return and conquer the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus Christ will, will tread Satan underfoot shortly. But in the meantime, he's not told us to conquer the world or conquer the devil, but he's told us to deal with our flesh get victory over our flesh, and that is our battlefield. Our battlefield is not the world. Our battlefield is not the devil. Our our battlefield is the flesh. And if you don't believe that, uh, most most of us have not had Satan visit our homes this week. But we've had plenty of trouble. And most of us have not had the world invade our property this week, but we've had lots to deal with. And it's that old flesh. It just follows us around and And causes us to do all kinds of things that are untoward and and improper. In fact, the Bible says here, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, did all uh, drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So they're redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb. They are set free from the bondage of their former life. They've been baptized. They are on their way to a land of promise. And God is providing every single day all of their needs along the journey. Verse 5, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples Verse number 11, now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And so we're given these examples of 4,000 years of human history in the Old Testament. God pulls out four or five examples and says, these are the things I want all of you to, to note carefully. Because all of these things are liable to happen to you if you don't pay attention. And the one we have this morning is found in verse number 10. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now wouldn't you think God would say, be careful, don't murder. Be careful, 
don't commit highway robbery. Be careful, thou should not commit adultery. And we would say, I would never do those things. And the Lord says, okay, how about this one? Would you ever mutter discontentedly under your breath? Would you ever use your gift of speech to complain about something? And then he says, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. I, I don't know who that is. I don't know what he does. But I don't want to meet him. Whatever that destroyer thing is, keep me away from him. Whatever that destroyer thing does, I don't want it happening to me. And so the warning is, not the destroyer's a bad guy, look out for him. The destroyer is, don't murmur and you won't have to worry about him. See again? The enemy is not whatever that foe is out there. The enemy is something inside of me that might bring me into unnecessary contact with it. The destroyer, he's there, he's doing what he does, he's destroying who he destroys in the way that he destroys him. The Bible didn't say watch out for the destroyer, the Bible said watch out for murmuring, because murmuring turns the destroyer loose on the person doing the deed. How about that? All right, let's pray. Father, help us. Help us this morning. We need help from your word. We need help to believe it. We need help to apply it. We need help to understand it. We ask that you'd graciously provide these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this morning, look, I'm just assuming that you want to live a victorious Christian life. If you don't, there's probably something on your phone you could do for the next few minutes and get yourself through this. Maybe even zone out and daydream about something because it's, it's, we're not talking to people who, who don't care about God. We're not talking to people who aren't interested in Jesus Christ. We're, we are speaking from the Bible to those who are serious about enjoying the full blessings of God upon your lives. Now, I promise I'll have you out of here long before noon. It's only three minutes after ten right now on the clock that I'm that I'm looking at, and so uh, we'll see what we can do. Numbers chapter fourteen. What in the world is he talking about? Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And then God said, "That's your example." Something unfortunate would frequently happen when I was a boy growing up, and my father's treatment of that unfortunate event was often even more unfortunate for me. And then afterward, he'd he'd shake his finger at me and he'd say, let that be a lesson to you. That's what the Lord's saying here. Let that be a lesson to you. Don't, don't, you don't want to go through this again. Now, here's what God's done for us. He's pointed to what they did and said, you don't ever have to go through this if you will learn from their experience. That can suffice for your experience and you can get the lesson that they got without going through the suffering and the hardship they went through. That's what I want. Wouldn't that be the better way to learn? All right, Numbers Numbers chapter 14. These are... 
the people on the way to the promised land. And these are the people who have food dropping out of the sky every morning and every night. These are the people who are protected and preserved by... Okay, 14.1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would God we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? It's astonishing. The former slaves are unhappy with their freedom. Those who felt the lash upon their backs are complaining about liberty. Those who were forced to throw their babies in the river and drown them are griping about food falling from the sky. Can this be possible? What was Egypt? They were whipped across their backs. They were forced to build Pharaoh's treasure cities They lived on starvation rations, and when their population grew so great that Pharaoh was afraid they might overthrow him, he demanded the genocide of their babies. And now, they're not not a quarter of a year free of that place, and they're longing for it and talking about it as though it was the good old days. Does that seem impossible? Now consider how unreasonable their complaints sound to those of us so far removed from the scene of discontent. They're unhappy because they might die. And they express it by saying, I wish we were dead. (laughs) Well, if you wish you were dead, why are you complaining about being in a situation where you're about to get your wish? They lament that they've been brought forth to die by the sword, yet not one person has met that fate since the Exodus. They're complaining and whining that their wives and children are going to be taken as prey or being taken as prey, and it hadn't happened one time. Those who are discontented in heart need no reality about which to complain. They can gripe about what has happened or gripe about what hasn't happened or gripe about what might happen or gripe about what should have happened. It doesn't matter. You know what they're going to do next? I tell you, it's just going to be terrible. It hadn't even happened yet and you're already complaining about it. Well, I tell you, if they get their way, you know, it's going to be really, really bad. What do you mean? Well, I just know something bad's about to happen. And it's amazing. They could have been singing songs about no more whip on their back. But instead, they're complaining about getting killed by the sword of an enemy that's not even there. They could have been singing songs of deliverance because no longer are they being forced to kill their children 
to please Pharaoh, Pharaoh's washed up on the beach. But instead, they're complaining about how Pharaoh might somehow, some way catch him, or, or somebody down the road might somehow, some way catch him, and it was bad by blood. I tell you, it's, it's liable to turn out really bad. You know, there's just something about this old world. It's always had its share of blessings, and it's always had its share of troubles. And there's something about this Christian life. It's always had its ups, and it's always had its downs. But it, it aggravates the Lord. It provokes the Lord to anger that with all the good things He's done for us and all the great things He's doing for us, we just choose to be occupied with that which doesn't suit us, whether it's real or imagined, whether it's happened or hasn't happened. And the Lord says, I could be hearing a little praise, but instead it's one more complaint. I could be hearing some thank yous and some hallelujahs, but instead it's, well, yeah, it's pretty good now, but you know what's coming? And this murmuring of the children of Israel showed not so much a fear of the sons of Anak, the giants in Canaan land, and not so much a longing for Egypt, the life left behind, but it just kind of said to the Lord, no matter what you do for us, it's not going to be good enough. And no matter how you bless us, we're still going to remind you that you haven't blessed us quite enough yet. And it just, quite honestly, it, it wore God out. Wore Him out. How's our conversation been this week? Surely the Lord has done more for us than Obama has done to us. But who'd you talk about? Surely Christ is doing more for us right now than the government could even plan to do to us tomorrow. But who do we talk about? Surely we've gotten so many blessings from our life in church that we've not yet rejoiced in. That it wouldn't be outweighed by one or two people doing or saying something we didn't like or didn't agree with. But oh wait. It often does. And the Lord says, I, I'm just, I just want to point out to you that this is not such an unusual circumstance that people so richly blessed with so much deliverance in their past and so much provision in their presence and so much unbelievable joy in their future could be occupied with something not going the way they think it should go. That instead of God hearing their praise and their thanksgiving, they hear murmuring and complaining, these things ought not so to be. But how often, how often it's the case. We're shocked and saddened to hear these people say they were better off slaves in Egypt than they are depending on God in a march through the countryside on the way to a promised land. And then we think about the lives of those set free from bondage to sin by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We see them making their way through the wilderness of this world, beset by troubles and trials, but guided graciously by a loving God who supplies every need. We watch with troubled hearts. 
as people who say they're saved, crave the booze or the drugs or the nightlife or the fornication or the idleness or the frivolity or the vanities of the life they left behind. For some people it seems like the longer they're out of Egypt, the more they lose consciousness of what it was really like back there. Well, it couldn't have been all that bad. Well, it was bad enough it sent you begging God for salvation. Forgotten are the pains, the tears, the shameful episodes, the bitter reaping, the despair. that caused them to trust Christ and follow Him out of their oppression. But now removed from the iron furnace of iniquity. So many saved people think, well, perhaps it wasn't so bad back then. They start getting a little carnal, start getting a little cold on God. Quit reading their Bible to check their face plant. Quit going to church to piddle around with this or that. And they begin to think, maybe the nightclubs have become a place of purity after all. Maybe the bars are now a fit setting for righteous fellowship. Maybe the lake or the ball fields become a good place to worship on Sundays. Egypt, it's bound to have been reformed by now. They begin to see the Word of God as a chain. They begin to see the preacher's words as a burden. The opportunity to serve Jesus becomes a set of unreasonable restrictions. Would to God we were back with our old friends. Oh, we could return to the good old days under Pharaoh. Well, things were never so good as when we were drowning in sin on the way to a devil's hell. People don't use those words, but they're the feelings expressed by far too many. Why are they pressuring preachers to turn the churches into the very types of places they frequented before they got saved? We still want Jesus, but could you please bring that Egyptian music in? We still want Jesus, but could you please bring that Egyptian vocabulary in? We still want Jesus, but could you please bring that Egyptian philosophy and, and point of emphasis in? We, oh, we, we don't want to leave church, but we don't want this pillar of fire, commandments on tables of stone, manna from heaven, all God sort of thing. We want the promised land and the Egyptian ways. And you can't have both. And Look at verse 4. And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Hope you learned this lesson well. Our young people, they get ready for a youth rally and they're getting ready for a mission trip and Some are getting ready to go off to school, and some are getting ready to run as far and fast away from God as they can. Let's learn the lesson of verse 4. You can always find a leader equipped to take you where you want to go. Jan was right. They're listening in on us. 
If you want to go on for Jesus, somebody will take you. You want, to go, you want to go head first into the world? Somebody will take you. Let us make us a captain. Look at the young man in a Bible-believing church. There's a pastor. There are godly men. There's some devoted person his age who would all be thrilled to teach him the fullness of the Christian life. In that same church are a couple of rebel boys who can show him how to sin beneath his parents' radar, who can introduce him to defilement, who can erode his faith in the Word of God and those who seek to live it. Whatever direction that young man desires to go, he can find somebody to take him there. Don't blame the church. Don't blame the parents. Don't blame the world. You will follow somebody who's going where you want to go. People grow up in the world with terrible parents and end up here in Bible school and on the mission field. And people grow up in church with great parents and end up in the sewer. Where do you want to go? Somebody will take you there. There's, so, there's, a, there's somebody in a good church that will introduce you to liquor and booze. And there's somebody in a public school that introduce you to giving out tracts and witnessing. Now, I'm for, I'm for, I'm for one another, but I, what I'm saying is, you're going to find what you're looking for. You want to go one way or the other, somebody will take you there. Look at the young girl in a scriptural congregation. There are scores of holy women there with happy homes, good marriages, excellent testimonies. Any or all of them would be happy to teach this young lady the joys of following Jesus. Be a happy wife, happy mother, happy Christian. And in the same fellowship, there'll be a Jezebel or two, a daughter of Herodias here and there, who will lead her into all that has made them miserable. She will select a captain to lead her where she wants to go. Well, you know, that church down there, they, there's plenty of good women in that church down there. You just didn't want to be one. Don't blame the church. Well, you know, these people grow up in churches. You know how they turn out. I grew up in church. My wife grew up in church. Assistant pastor grew up in church. His wife grew up in church. Who are you talking about? Who'd you set your eyes on? Who'd you set your heart on? Why are you locked into the people that walked away from God instead of the people that walked on with God? There'll be somebody in the group you're in that wants to go back to Egypt, and they'll show you how to get there. And there'll be somebody in the group you're in that's going on to the promised land. They'll show you how to get there, where you want to go. Well, my mom, yeah, she didn't do everything perfect. Well, my dad, of course, of course, he didn't do everything perfect. You went where you wanted to go. Well, you know, there's some kids in that youth group, and that's why we don't do youth group. Yeah, everybody I know like that's got a kid out in the world sooner or later. It's not the preacher. It's not the youth group. It's not Obama. It's not the world. It's your heart. You want to follow Jesus? You can follow him. You think the world's any, any better when Jesus was here? He walked right through it. Didn't get him. Seems from our passage that the, the warning in the list of those selected for our notice in 1 Corinthians 10 
is that we not be discontented with our new life in Christ, lest we begin to long for the former life of bondage. For in such a case, we will find ourselves seeking out the company or encouragement of someone who will take us backward away from the blessings of God instead of onward into deeper and more blessings. You start losing your zeal, you know what? You're going to stop hanging out with people that are zealous and start hanging out with people that are half and half. And you decide you want to get zealous for God again, you're going to start spending more time with people that are zealous and less time with people that are half and half. It's not, it's not, it's not the, well, you know, this guy, he messed me up. No, you wanted to get messed up. Well, this part, you know, I wouldn't be serving God if it wasn't for him. Yeah, but if you didn't want to serve God, he couldn't have made you. What do you want? You want to go on to the promised land? You want to go back to Egypt? Numbers 14 goes on to tell us, How Moses and Aaron prayed for these murmuring people. Joshua and Caleb rent their clothes and pleaded with the people to trust God. They told the congregation how great life would be if they followed on and trusted their Redeemer. Their message was one of light, of hope, of victory, of joy, of power, of life. Look at verse 10. How does the congregation respond to all that positive preaching? Verse 10, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones. Really? Really? Verse 5, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces for the congregation. They're humble. They're praying for them. Caleb and Joshua rent their clothes. Verse 7, they spake and said, we search through the land. It's an exceeding good land. Verse 8, the Lord delight in us. He will bring us into this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, I just want to hear some positive preaching. That's positive. I just want to preach that cares for me. They cared enough to pray and rent their clothes. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. When the heart longs for Egypt, the pastor, the dear brother, the godly parent, the best friend, the Bible, the Lord, they can all drop dead. Just how it is. You have the best mom in the world. You want sin? You'll break her heart. You can have the best daddy in the world. You want that filth out there? You'll crush him. You don't care. Sunday school teacher come visit you, tears running down his face. Preacher, come take your hand, pray for you. You don't care. You're looking around. This guy's bugging me, making me nervous. What's wrong with him? Some kind of religious weirdo. Get me out of here. You know what the problem is? They're going a direction you don't want to go. They're not bad people. You'll just say that. They're not corrupt people. You'll just say that. They're not fanatics. You'll just say that. They're not weirdos. You'll just say that because they're going somewhere you don't want to go. And if you want to go on to the promised land, they're the greatest people on the face of the earth. Man, I'm so glad I got a godly mother. I'm so glad I got a holy daddy. I'm so glad I got a church full of men and women looking out for me and encourage me to go on for Jesus. Look, it's the same place. They're the same people. What's inside you depends on how you see them. Stone them with stones. So Moses, you know what he does? He prays for them some more. He begs God not to to harm them. 
He begs God, uh, verse 19, pardon, I beseech thee the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy. Listen, this young, young person, that, that mother you're tired of because she makes you dress like a lady instead of like a tramp. Young man, that dad you're tired of because he knows what's out there and doesn't want you to do to yourself what he did to himself. You know what they're going to do to you after you break their heart? You know what they're going to do to you after you you spit in their face? You know what they're going to do to you after you turn your back on them? They're going to continue to beg God for you and pray for you and love you and care for you because they're not what you say they are. They're what God made them. Good, kind, gracious, loving people. You just don't want to go where they're going. They're not bad people. Your mom's not a bad woman. Your dad's not a bad man. Your preacher's not a kook. You just don't want to go where we're going. And if you do want to go this way, man, thank God I found this church. Thank God for my friends here. Thank God for the encouragement I get. It's the same place. How can people talk so differently about the same sermon and the same approach and the same songs and the same fellowship? Because they're facing two different directions. Verse 20, the Lord said, talking about complaining now. Not talking about murder, we're talking about complaining. Not talking about adultery, we're talking about griping. What never do? (laughs) Yeah, this one gets us. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. Here's what he said. The lesson, this lesson is for today... For those of us who think we stand, we have the unfailing intercession of the man who led us out of bondage, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for us, and our pardon rests entirely on His mercies before the Father. We are forgiven through His merits, through His prayers. However... The constant discontent on the part of his saints provokes him and brings about such action or inaction on the part of God as to result in our missing out on the fullness of blessing and joy that could have been ours if we had trusted and obeyed. See the promised land? It's theirs if they want it. See the forgiveness of God? It's theirs. They've got their redeemed. See, the relationship they have with God, it's maintained by Moses' intercession. But if they don't want that promised land, they can drop dead in the wilderness short of it. God's not going to force them in there if they don't want to go. Joshua and Caleb want to go. God's going to keep them alive. They'll be young men at 80, running up and down the battlefield. Now, look, are you saved 
by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Are you kept by the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Is there a life of promised blessing for you? Absolutely. Is God going to make you live it if you don't want to? No, He won't. You can gripe your way out of your marriage. You can gripe your way out of your family. You can gripe your way out of your friendships. You can gripe your way out of good church. You can gripe your way out of your health. You can gripe your way out of your sanity. And God's not going to stop you. Or you can thank and praise the Lord into more and more and more of the joy and the abundance that Jesus has for you if you want it. yours for the taking, or it's yours to decline. So the Lord says, tomorrow turn you, get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. All right, now look, Egypt, Egypt, they're out of Egypt, hallelujah. Red Sea, they cross it on dry land, Pharaoh's army is destroyed. And they they got the Red Sea behind them, and they're on the way to the Promised Land. Oh, guys, they brought us out here to die. I wish we were back in Egypt. It's just, no, it's terrible. It's just terrible. Man, every day from heaven, food falling out of the sky, protection from all our enemies. This is awful. Wish we were back there getting whipped and beaten and government killing our kids. So the Lord says, okay. Turn them around, Moses. Take them back by the Red Sea. There it is. Look back around Mount Sinai. Turn around. Take them back by the Red Sea. Lord, what are we doing? Well, we're just going to walk around in circles. I can't take them back to Egypt, but they don't want to go to the promised land. They can just stand out here and gripe for the next 38 years for all I care. Boy, my life, just nothing to do. So boring. Nothing on TV. Nowhere to go. Got no money to go anywhere. Got out of church. I talk about how good God is. How great it is to be saved. Let's see what's all so great about it. Why don't you go back out in the world? I've got no friends out in the world, man. Only wants your money. All a bunch of crooks. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday to you too. Man. <laughs> Sick of all this stuff. Nobody said they're not saved. They're just miserable. Nothing to do, nothing to live for, nothing to stimulate them, nothing exciting, nothing blessed, nothing joyful. And they think it's all God's fault, or the church's fault, or their spouse's fault, or their parents' fault. The Lord said, problem is you don't want what I got for you. You stuck yourself here. Here's what God said. Instead of weeks or months to the Holy Land, now it's going to take them four decades. And why? Here's, I'm, just pick, I'm, I'm picking these out of the, the next verses in the chapter. This evil congregation which murmur against me, the murmurings of the children of Israel, they murmur against me, which have murmured against me, all the congregation to murmur against him. 
That's, it's, that's what it is. It's from morning to noon to night. That's what it is. The daytime talk shows for the ladies. What is it? I just don't, I don't think women are being treated properly. I don't think women get a fair shake. I don't think women make enough money. And a man walks in and says, turn that off. Then he turns on the news channel. The government didn't do this right. The government didn't do that right. The senator didn't do this right. The congressman didn't say that right. The, the legislation passed was incorrect. It's just nonstop, gripe fast for people with their feet propped up in a recliner with armload of food in one hand and armload of drinks in the other and central heat, heat and hair. It's, I mean, it's terrible. Look at the mess we're in. Let's go out to eat. <laughs> Honestly, it's not all that terrible. Well, yeah, we lost an hour of sleep last night. <laughs> or two, yeah. Man, there's bound to be something to gripe about in the midst of all this salvation and all this prosperity. Oh, when the news comes down that their heart's desire for the old life has cost them a 40-year sentence in the wilderness, they do what modern Christians do when they learn that their sin carries heavy consequences. The people immediately go to God and pretend to be loving, obedient children. Not because they're either one but because they think the Lord is stupid and can't see through their insincerity. They want to say a quick prayer, make a few hollow promises, and get a full and immediate restoration of all their blessings. So, verse 39. And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we will go up into the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. Look, God, we... we Sorry, we didn't know we were going to lose all that good stuff. We're going to be good now. And Moses said... Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. (laughs) Well, no. No, it couldn't be like that. I'm going to live outside the will of God, and when it becomes a total mess, I'm going to say, God, come fix all this, and the next day, my life's going to be wonderful. I'm going to marry outside the commandments and the will of God. I'm going to plan my career outside the commandments and the will of God. I'm going to manage my finances outside the commandments and the will of God. I'm going to engage in social activities and, and, and habits and vices outside the will of God. And then when I hit a wall, I'm going to say, God, I, I, I'm sorry. You, you, you know I'm a great guy. and you, Make it all go away. And Moses said, look, 
You didn't believe God when he said you'd go into promised land, so you've got to wander around here for 38 years. And now you don't believe you've got to wander around here for 38 years, so you're going to try and go up and do what God said you can't do. Well, no, we told God we're sorry. I have too. Haven't you? You, you, ever, you ever told God you're sorry? Lord appreciates that, and he forgives that, and he'll bless your heart for doing it. It don't, it don't fix the mess you made. Now watch, verse 40, 44. But they presumed to go up under the, top, uh, under the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down the Canaanites, which dwelt in that hill, and smote them and discomfited them, even unto Hormah. So here's the summary. God said, I'll lead you into the promised land. You'll enjoy total victory. The people said, no, we want to go back to Egypt. The Lord said, then you'll wander around this desert. People said, no, no, we'll, we'll go in now. God said, you disobedient rebels are on your own. And the Canaanites killed and wounded them. Which wouldn't have happened if they obeyed God. But they said it was going to happen if they did obey God. So they don't obey God and it happens because they don't obey Him. What they didn't want to have happen to them, they walked right into it by their disobedience. So here's the lesson. When we desire the way of sin in the flesh, even though we've not yet taken that way, it provokes the Lord to anger. This desire keeps us from walking in the way that would lead to full enjoyment of the Christian life. When we realize what our heart's improper choices have cost us, we may seek to make bargains with God. All such offers will be declined. This will be borne out when we look carefully at the rest of the Corinthian passage. But let's, let's just pick an easy example. Easy example. Lead into tonight's message, but easy example. Let's say a man that none of us have ever met. We don't know this man. It's, it's nobody I know. It's nobody you know. But this man grew up in church, knows the Bible front and back, Won all of those prizes for scripture memorization at youth rallies. And I mean, just did all of it. He met a girl at church. And she's a good Christian girl. And he marries her. And he says, you know, till, till death do us part and all that stuff that you're supposed to say. And he said all that. And she said all the same things to him. And, and about seven or eight years into a great godly Christian marriage, he just... I don't know, somebody didn't pay him for something or the preacher didn't agree with him on the gap theory or the sons of God in Genesis 6 or some terribly important thing like that. And he just, you know, got his heart a little bit out of joint and quit reading his Bible like he'd been doing since he was a child. Neglected his prayer list like he had never done before. But it's okay, everything's okay. You know, I'm, I'm still working, I'm still paying my bills, I'm still coming to church, but... But he's, he's not content with God anymore. He's not content with the preaching anymore. He's not content with church anymore. And you know, if you want to go back to Egypt, there'll be a captain that'll lead you. His captain turns out to be a pretty nice looking young gal at work. And before long, it's not just flirting. And before long, it's not just 
rendezvous. Before long, he's headlong in the gutter with this woman he works with, which he never would do. Just ask him. I'd never do that. How dare you insult me by saying I'd do that? But, but there he is. And a few years later, he comes to his senses in the pig pen of life and says, how many hired hands my father's mansion are fair and better than I am. I think I'll repent of my sin and go back home. And like many a prodigal before him, he gets back home and finds the heavenly father's arms open and ready to forgive him. (laughs) But his wife ain't. And she may never be. In the seven years he lost with his children between the time they were nine and the time they were 18, that isn't coming back. And the money that he squandered and the reputation that he lost, that isn't coming back. And you know what? He's forgiven. But if he thinks he's going to walk up on that mountaintop and say, God, I'm sorry I did that and I'm ready to go tackle the Canaanites, your Canaanite tackling days may be over, buddy. And this is the lesson that God keeps bringing out to us. Because our churches are full of people who know better, who do worse, and suppose that because God is so loving and God is so gracious, I'll just walk back in anytime I want to without consequence. And there's always consequence. That's why we're pleading with you young people. That's why we're preaching like we're preaching. You don't get those years back. You don't undo those trips into the, into the pit. Don't do it. Men sitting here this, this morning, you're still involved in the activities and you're still faithful to the church, but you know and nobody else knows what a great change there's been in your desire for this Word of God. And what a great decline there's been in your love for the Lord and your burden for souls. Nobody knows that but you. Do you not see what God is saying to you? The murmuring that has replaced the thanksgiving and the complaining that has replaced the joy and the forward look that's been replaced by a backward glance, it's going to cost you more than you anticipate. When somebody leaves a good church, there's about a two to three year window between the time they leave it and the time they walk out the door. During that two to three years, you watch their excitement turn into indifference. You watch their, man, this is a great place to be, to, uh, uh, there's some things around here I don't think we're doing quite right. You watch as instead of talking about how many good folks there are doing good things, you watch as they begin to nitpick and find fault with those that don't measure up. And don't Listen, when that murmuring, murmuring replaces praise, and that complaining replaces thanksgiving, you're about to meet up with a captain that will offer you an opportunity take a short trip back to Egypt. You want to leave a good church? Somebody's coming to help show you how to do it. Maybe they'll introduce you to a doctrine. Maybe they'll point out a flaw. Maybe they'll, they'll help you. 
You want to get out of a Christian marriage? Somebody come along and show you how to do it. I love the Lord, and I've done this three or four times. I can, I can help you with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to be one of those booze-drinking Christians? You want to be one of those pot-smoking Christians? There's somebody on TV. There's somebody on the Internet that'll be your pastor. Yeah. You can have you an online pastor with a ring in his nose and a joint in his fingers and a Bible, Bible verse about how much God loves you no matter what. And You want to have a good home? You want to have a good marriage? You want to have a good testimony and honor God? You want to finish this Christian race running for Jesus? You can find your captain take you there too. Hope you want to go the right way. For the right reasons. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Father.